0: My name is Matthew Fort, and this is my daughter, Lois.
1: And my name is Lois Fort, and this is my dad, Matthew. Uh,
0: And where are you exactly today, darling?
1: I am at home, Mm. uh, in the office. And where are you?
0: I am in my office, as you can probably see from the books and things and other familiar trappings. Anyway... In this episode of Thoughts on Food, we're talking about food on television.
1: A subject I think you might know a little bit about.
0: Well, it seems to have consumed an enormous amount of time in my life over the last several years. I've been very, very lucky, what with the Great British Menu. Actually, the very first series I ever did was called Greatest Dishes of the World. Uh, And I can remember exactly how it came about. I suddenly got this phone call one day and this voice at the other end said, did I want to be on this new show called uh, Greatest Dishes of the World? So I said, well, what's it involved? He said, well, we've got the, some of the best chefs in the country and they're all each going to be cooking a, you know, a, a first course, a fish course, a meat course, and then a, a pudding. And uh, all you have to do is go along and eat it. And what, what happens there? Well, you've got to say whether you like it or not. Oh, really? So I said, um, uh, are you going to pay me money for this? They said, yes. Absolutely. And I said, how much money? And they said, well, they mentioned a figure. And I said, I'll be there. Count me in. <laughs> and that's how my television career. Were. But it was only you know, it was, it was only the, the latest, in a very long line, rather honourable line, I think, of, of television food programmes. Because, I mean, you know, let's face it, sometimes you look at the television schedules and you think it's absolute wall to wall food programmes, don't you?
1: There are so many in abundance on every single channel, which I think is great because it's bringing cooking and food to all of our houses, which is fabulous.
0: Uh, But do you actually watch
1: any? I do. I I would imagine, well, well, as we talk about this, it'll come out. I would imagine that you probably watch programmes that are more geared towards the art of cooking. And I watch more food slash entertainment, I would say. Or food well, slash adventure.
0: It, we'll come back to that in a moment. What we actually each watch. Um, mm. I'm going to say that, that, that there is a sort of uh, there is a grand tradition which goes back basically to just after the war when you know you you are too young to remember Fanny Craddock <laughs> who was um, no, who's Fanny Craddock <clears throat> Fanny, Fanny Craddock was the great sort of great original. She was a, a sort of but a bit of a battle axe on the on the cooking front, and I think personally as well. And her husband, or I'm not sure he was her husband, but there was her, her, her partner or companion, Johnny, who wore a monocle, and he was always providing the drinks in the course of her cooking um, demonstrations. Um, and, there was, uh, and there was Philip Harbin. He was another early um, television personality. Uh, and then it sort of evolved and became, we went into the Galloping Gourmet, Graham Kerr, uh, he was a...
1: I don't know any of these at all.
0: Yeah, I know you don't. You see, you need to study a, a bit you know, the history of, of the subject about which we're talking. Because I suppose, <laughs> does the name Keith Floyd mean anything to you?
1: No, but I don't need to study. I've, you, you can educate me. This is fabulous. <laughs>
0: well, I always, I've always thought that, you know, is that up until Keith Floyd, food on television was really black and white, and with mm. Floyd, both in terms of his personality and the way it was shot and the way you know, it was constructed, uh, it suddenly went into Technicolor and became really exciting. He was such a vivid personality. He cooked outdoors, he travelled, he chatted, and he drank, drank while he was cooking and, and, and addressed the camera directly. He was a real sort of theatrical personality. Uh, and then, When was had, that? Can you remember? Ooh, that was in the 1980s. He okay. went on for quite a long time, and of course uh, and he was still going on when Delia suddenly arrived on the scene, you know the 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 nation's mm. matron uh, and told yes. us all how to cook um and then of course came Jamie. now you remember Jamie Oliver?
1: I do of course remember, well, I remember Jamie Oliver, well, he's still very much around, but don't you remember slightly before Jamie, I think, those days of the wild green haired Gary Rhodes?
0: Oh my God! I've forgotten about. Remember? That. Well, there was Gary Rhodes. There's Anthony Warrel Thompson. Uh, there was the food program. There was uh, actually. You're quite right. Was, there was sort of suddenly. There was. I think. What well, it was? That was that the, the people who commissioned television programs suddenly realised that food on television was really cheap to make compared to all sorts of other things. That's uh, interesting. And- and uh, and it sort of it sort of chimed in with the zeitgeist of the time, but it was cheap telly, and suddenly we had a whole range of personalities and different types of t- television shows. So there was, there was food and travel, there was food and cooking, there was food and wine. Um, well, and also
1: there was-, there was the there was the whole the beginning of food competitions. Don't you remember? I mean, I remember this as as a as a young girl coming home from school uh and it was it was either side of blue peter was ready steady cook was it was it it, any-
0: it was Aisley harriet
1: uh, i mean it was ri- i mean like that i suppose it exists now in, in in more um i don't know sophisticated forms but that was good fun
0: but the um do you think that television actually has done any good has has had any beneficial results
1: of course definitely i i, I mean i don't know how that can possibly be a question well, because if you, if you look at the
0: statistics, the number of people actually cook, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily encourage people to cook. It shows people how to cook. And God knows there are enough bloody cooking shows. But the fact is that fewer and fewer people actually cook a meal on a daily basis from beginning to end. Um, that the the growth in uh, in ready meals gets larger and larger, you know, gets grows higher and higher and higher, and microwaves have, have colonised the kitchens throughout the land. So, I think we have to be slightly careful about we say how much it has influenced.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's a good point. And I and I obviously, being very honest, can only come from my own experience and those of kind of my friends and close family who do, for the most part, cook. So, uh, yeah, I think, of course, there's going to be a large tranche of people who are not going to be convinced to cook. But perhaps even if it's just a piece of information that they learn about nutrition or balance. I mean, I think that is what what uh, food on TV can do is it can give people access to facts about, you know, good eating that they wouldn't necessarily find. or Maybe they're not reading about it or they don't have access to it somewhere else.
0: I think that's absolutely right. I think that unquestionably that, that each generation is better informed about food than mm. the previous generation. You know a great deal more about and your interests are much wider than mine. Oh no, a great deal more than you do,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly.
0: On a, on a slightly narrower basis, I dare dare I say, no. um, but I think it's you it, know it's certainly done that. It's introduced people to 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 flavours and products and ingredients and techniques that they would you know that, are, that certainly my mother and uh, and and her generation would absolutely never have dreamt of. And you're doing things that I frankly never do um, yeah. as well.
1: And I think, I would suppose, I mean, of all of the kind of, you know, the endless food competitions and the, you know, and the F words and all of that, which is, which is, you know, fantastic, pure entertainment. I think that, as you said earlier, food and travel has probably been where the the doors have really opened for viewers because we've had access over the years, further and further and further to cuisines that just might not ever have been in our lives otherwise.
0: But I, I I remember this was a, a story I think you told me when you were at school when I used to do your school you know the school lunches and yes. I used to do a, a, a couscous salad during summer I can remember and you used to get yes. such snotty remarks by from some of your um, some of your your friends and colleagues. But didn't, did. didn't one of them have a have sort of a moment of epiphany in Morocco, went on holiday in Morocco with their family? Do you remember this story?
1: I do remember the story. I don't remember it as specifically as you do.
0: Oh, uh, well, I do. Uh, it was something she had a to... moment
1: of knowing, it, she, was, she was able to announce that she knew what couscous was, wasn't well, it? Well, I think
0: they were all, I think she and her family all gathered around the table and, you know, and, and handed the menu and, and, and looked at it and said, well, what's this stuff called Couscous. And your friend was able to say, oh, it's the stuff that Lois gets (laughs) in her um, her, her school lunches. So I think it was helped by television, that sort of informational surge.
1: Definitely. And it's evolved, my goodness, I mean, over the years to what we're now watching.
0: So what do you watch?
1: I mean, I know your reaction to a couple of these already, but like a bit of Gordon Ramsay Uncharted. I don't know if you've seen that one.
0: I've seen the the heading up there on the on, on the roll of honour. I haven't actually looked at it.
1: Basically, he travels all around the world, lucky fish, and mm. it's a bit too formulaic. You know, where every episode is really there's there's too many. There are too many kind of doing the same things. But he travels all around the world, and in each country or place that he goes to, like Puerto Rico or or Iceland, he we'll meet with someone local be it a chef or someone who's doing interesting cooking for some reason they don't have and to stop be to... me
0: stop me stop let, let me stop and then what yeah. he does he does they show him how to cook a local dish and then he does his take on it oh my goodness I've never seen that before
1: uh ish yeah, yeah. he goes into competition with them and yeah. then then some locals have yeah, to judge yeah, it yeah. so no no yeah I mean the th- that, that's the theory but it's not it's entertaining
0: I've always wondered what would happen if the, if the locals actually said what they really thought. <laughs> I think they were be...
1: Yeah, I mean, there were. this is why I say it was a bit too formulaic, because I'd probably say 75% out of the time, Gordon won. But there were a couple of really funny occasions where someone really stuck their nose up and said that was a bit disgusting.
0: Were they as humorous as that memorable episode of the hairy brawn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, My <that's>... most famous <laughs> moment moment on television. Does it bear repeating, do you think?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, it, not only does it bear repeating here, but do you remember that it was repeated? Or, okay. I mean, almost Listen. almost on a loop. Um, in Australia, actually. I was in Australia for three months, and I think the Hairy brawn episode was played at least four or five times a week on the Food Network. <laughs> well, I can't remember what the TV show was called.
0: Oh, it's, uh, with it Rick. was Rick. It was Rick Stein's Food Heroes. Okay. And he came down to Stroud, <laughs> no because i'll ask you to because he came I, I just set up the, the set up the, the background okay he came to Stroud to do a shooting episode and the idea was that he we would join up and we'd go around the Stroud farmers market um we'd buy some food and we'd bring it back to the target where we lived and then he we would you know, eat it and you know, it would make a lovely television show and I thought, well, we're 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 not going to be eating until quite late, so we need to have a little something to to nibble on while we're cooking up this marvelous meal. So the, the, a couple of days before, I had made some brawn, some you know, pig's head in jelly, basically, in little bits. And, and you've been, made, you know,
1: you'd been what? feeling quite, you've been feeling quite proud of yourself. I think you were you were aiming to impress clearly. <laughs>
0: I I may I, think I was thinking I slightly oversold it if if, if I, in, in truth particularly Possibly. in view of what happened subsequently. Yeah, I kept to say, Rick, I think you'll be really interested in my brawn. Oh, do you know, Rick? I think it's one of the best things I've ever made in my life. Do you know? I'm really <laughs> proud of this. I can't wait for you to taste it. And
1: well, so the, the the brawn was sitting in a in a cast iron dish with a lid in our cellar, and you went off to go and fetch this thing. At which point, at production and Rick. And anyone else who was on was thoroughly irritated, pissed off and fed up with you talking about this bloody brawn. And we're just ready for it to come out. And I think by that point, I'd probably decided no matter how it tasted, they probably were going to have to dumb it down because you'd been so irritating on all of the filming. <laughs> and so you come along and mum and I were standing in the kitchen. You had a bit of an audience. Production was there. Cameras are rolling. Decided not to check it beforehand. You know, you went real. you went real live action. Lifted the lid. To about three inches of hair covering the entire thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was. It was not three inches. It was about. It was about. Oh, about um, an inch of chinchilla coloured mould. It was. It was
1: thick, mouldy hair. But the best part very... of that the best part of the whole thing was uh, the first thing that happened, which was heard on camera. As the lid came off, was Mum going, "Oh fuck,"
0: which was just <laughs> which was so funny. She was appalled,
1: and then eventually they st- it was hy- hysterical, and everyone laughed. And then eventually the cameras were called to a halt whilst they decided quite what to do with it. And
0: yeah, I tell you something. Rick said, Rick just said, "Scrape it off. It's perfect just penicillin mold and and Oh I yeah, he thought- did. And I and I just thought no, just in case it wasn't, and I did poison the, the country's favourite chef. I, it would not look too good on my CV, so we put it to one side.
1: We did. You did put it to one side, but not. But then after that, Stevie, your friend, my godfather, turned to the producer or the director. I can't remember his name. Was it director David, David Pritchard? David Pritchard and said to him, "You're not going to use that, are you?" And he said. We bloody are. Not changing <laughs> <was>. a thing.
0: <laughs> actually, actually, what he said was, according to Stevie, was that I've worked for thirty years in television for that moment, <laughs> <laughs> and it was you know I was confronted by this thing. I mean, I suppose if I you know, said, oh no, please don't you, but they they clearly wanted to, and I thought, well, actually, you know, one of the things about food on television is that no one ever shows anything ever going wrong they never drop anything on the floor they never sauces never split the souffles always rise you know it's always bloody perfect and it isn't we all know that
1: absolutely and and so so you need things to go wrong a for just a good old solid bit of humor but b for some relatability because it's going to happen to the best chef that things are going to go wrong well, actually, um, I
0: was I was really delighted the way in which, uh, in fact, uh, the the response to that was extremely positive on the whole. But I did it could I... only
1: be positive. It's so. It was just a just such a brilliant moment, and it's mm-hmm. so unexpected. That's what people like.
0: Great telly. The um, great telly. Rick went to, had a sort of direct to the camera talk through of this disaster, and he said, and that's why we call him Matthew of the hairy brawn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I be... still watch. I still watch Rick. I think he's great. I love his programmes. And I think he always he, he always um, comes from a really interesting perspective. I love listening to what he's got to say. And he's just such a nice nice bloke.
0: He's a nice bloke. And also, I think that the way he, he, he sort of maintains his enthusiasm. He doesn't go over the top. But there's always that, you feel that passion and enthusiasm for his subject matter. Mm. Uh, and I think that really remains, you know, helps keep the, his shows really fresh. Yeah, I mean I agree. I, I, I mean they, in a way, they're as formulaic as Gordon so but somehow I just find they're more rounded they you learn more it's 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 a sort of gentler I think gentler take yeah. altogether what about Jamie because he was an incredibly influential figure on television what oh you, in, I mean
1: incredibly influential and he did things for for British food that we've all got to be very thankful for yeah I love Jamie I mean he's not on the TV as much anymore um mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I use his recipes and, uh, but, but no, I mean, he's 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 incredibly likeable and I think um, has played, I mean, has just played such a role in, in our culture, and to, in our food culture.
0: I think he's really important because, but he doesn't come across as, you know, that, that sort of slightly um, part of a sort of enclosed club. I think he opened up a whole... Um uh, excitement about food to a generation of people who hovered on the brink, but they were waiting for someone who talked to them and that 's what he does
1: absolutely and he o- he reader. opened the door he really did open the door and mm-hmm. and changed changed the demographic of who we were watching on t v about food, which I think was brilliant and and people could really relate to him, and he was very relaxed and fun and Allowed some of the rules to be stripped away, which is great because it just makes f- cooking and food so much more accessible for more people. Um So he was flexible, which I think is great. I mean, there's a lot of that now, but he was one of the first.
0: Do you remember meeting him?
1: I do, do I remember. I him. He was to so him lovely. In, in yeah, in
0: Birmingham, and I've always thought lovely that guy. was this was what I thought was really impressed me about him because. um you, are you going you be saying, oh, it's Jamie Oliver anyway." Would you introduce me to him? And I thought, oh, of course, darling, I'm very happy to. We went up to him, and I suddenly thought, God, I hope he remembers who I am. It's going to be very embarrassing otherwise. Yeah. Anyway, oh, he said, oh, Matt, nice to see you. I, think, I introduced you to him. Uh, and at that point, someone tapped me on the shoulder and wanted to talk to me, and so I turned away. So I left you with Jamie. Mm. And when I turned back three or four minutes later, you were still chatting away, and I thought... Oh, that's a really good thing. I mean, you know, because there was a queue of people waiting to chat to him, but he didn't. You know, He's concentrated no, he didn't. on you. He talked to you, and uh, and I thought that sort of sort of humanity was really a, uh, you know, a, yeah. a great. It marked the quality of the chap. I thought.
1: I agree, definitely, and just overall, just a very accessible guy. I tell you, who else is accessible? Who I really enjoy watching are the hairy bikers.
0: Oh, do you, you see?
1: I yeah. I, I,
0: th- their charms completely passes me by.
1: Is it? I love mm. them. I Tell you what it is about them. We haven't talked about a duo yet. They're a fantastic, fantastic duo. And... Um they've got such affection for each other which and there are some really sweet lovely moments to do with their food memories together or they they have nostalgic moments um and they we've just watched one recently i can't remember exactly what it was called but it was about them in the north which is of course where they hail from mm. and it was just lovely and they really got under the lid of the food culture and um i like, i think they're great
0: so what is it that you're looking for from from food programs
1: I'm looking for entertainment, inspiration, and real people, I think. So,
0: Um, okay, talk me through the real people of Gordon, Gino, and Fred. Okay,
1: I knew you were going to go there. And and you know what? I'm just going to say, everybody needs a Big Mac sometimes. This is the Big Mac, okay? This is everybody occasionally has some fast food. (laughs) This is the fast food of food on tv i know how you feel about it i ju- i tell you what it is i tell you what it is it, it's gino gino is so funny because he's just so silly on it um I I, I I yeah shoot me down i love it i think it's absolutely hilarious
0: so but you, it's not really a food program is it it's it's about no. food, like, mucking around and and Do you know what it is
1: Galilee. i'll tell you exactly what it is it's top gear for food it's three blokes heavily scripted being a bit stupid traveling the world but it, it there are you know if it hits your sense of humor it hits your sense of humor and I really, I really find it funny
0: of course gino began his career on on a show which i used to co-present with tom parker Bowles and and various others matt Tebbot, called um, market kitchen
1: is that where and- gino started
0: and that's when Eugenia came on there, and he was supposed to demonstrate demonstrating Italian dishes, and he kept on saying, Matthew, what do I do now? What, what's this dish about? <laughs>
1: Oh, Dad! You better be careful not to expose well, poor G. I'm sure, sure he really
0: knew, and he just, you know, <laughs> it was just—he was—it was just playing up to the television. But it made; it certainly did make very good television. I think.
1: Have you seen an episode of Road Trip, though? Have you—have you watched an episode? I
0: did. Well, I watched one for about three and a half minutes, which is all I could take. I thought it was <laughs> because you know, compared to now, listen—I'll give you my favourite. Yeah. Big zoos, big eats. I, I think it's absolutely Big genius. Big Zoo is, in fact, a, um, is, a, a his real name is Zuhair Hassan. And he's a grime artist, DJ, um, rapper, um, all sorts. And he's a, he's a... Basically, I think all te- all good television, good food television, depends on a, a dominant personality. You need to have someone really strong to hold the screen and to move things along. And he's absolutely brilliant at that it's quite a structured thing but it he, he, he goes around with his truck and his two mates and they cook up for various you know well-known television personalities or stand-up comedians or musicians okay or whatever. but somehow he just exudes i think he's a really i think he really does cook well uh, although some of the concoctions he comes up with, <coughs> I think might um, <laughs> would be a little bit challenging, shall we say? But just that, <laughs> the combination of good humour and and hospitality and energy and fun and someone who really looks as if they're enjoying what they're doing. If you haven't read, watched it, I must strongly recommend
1: it. I I watched one after you told me about it, but and I loved it. But I would like to watch them all definitely. Yeah. Okay, what else do you watch? Didn't you watch, and I never got round to it, didn't you watch Chef's Table that you really loved?
0: Was oh, Chef's, Chef's table? table, that was right, yes, that's on, this is beginning to see, you're beginning to see new, the effects of, of the new platforms on television, because that was on Netflix. And they were hour-long documentaries uh, about serious chefs doing serious cooking, and there was ser- there was serious money behind it, and they were able to talk about their philosophy of their food and how they went about it and how they came to be where they were, and it was. And if you're interested, if you're really interested in in you know in fine dining, should we say, uh, yeah. and what lies behind all of that, they were absolutely. I thought they were met. There was. Absolutely, well, some of them were better than others. There was one particular one, which, honestly, it's completely rekindled my passion for food, which was about a Korean Buddhist nun.
1: Oh, wow. And Gosh. her cooking.
0: And it was just absolutely magical. I can't oh, okay. remember her I'm name, go and watch it. But it was absolutely, honestly, if you get a chance to get, go back and have a look at it, it's really, because okay. it also has the most perfect end shot almost of any food programme I've ever seen.
1: Okay, All right, that's some homework. I'm going to watch it. But we
0: haven't mentioned the greatest television show of all time. Its name is... Great British
1: Menu? Great
0: British Menu? Come on, shout (laughs) it from the rooftops.
1: Great British Menu!
0: (laughs) Thank you. None of this muttering Great (laughs) British Menu. Although I do remember my mother saying saying to me, she said, perfectly ridiculous programme, darling. I wouldn't watch it if you weren't on it. Uh, but that was, that was. I mean, you know, I did that for 16 years. Because it was regionally based, you know, you had two or three chefs from yes. from eight different regions, all competing. They they got an exposure they would never otherwise have had. So it, it actually helped um, chefs thrive, I think, mm. in parts of the country mm. that they might have really struggled to have done otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and I think we've... I think we've seen that in the success of, of so many of their restaurants and 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 I suppose that it has probably removed some pressure on chefs to head to the big cities because yeah, that- you know now there are well known well established quite rightly well regarded restaurants where they can go and they can go and train and get experience and start at that are not just in London or Manchester or you know the the big cities. No, no,
0: they're, they're scattered around the, around the place. I know
1: it, was a, it was it was it well it is a wonderful show. I mean I I have to I don't think it's going to be no, as wonderful you. without you. Um
0: I don't suppose I should be ever be as lucky again to be to be you never know to be, to be as well fed for a few, <laughs> few weeks of the year.
1: You were you were I do always remember the production. The the guys on set saying that you were the only one who used to finish your plate of food, which used to pre COVID drive them mad because they relied on these plates coming back half full so they could try it, and yours <laughs> always came back licked clean. No,
0: yes. <laughs> well, Danny, I think I think we 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 should be drawing this podcast to a close, don't you think?
1: Yeah. I tell you what. Before we quickly, talk, oh. we need to talk about what we've cooked recently. Yes. Uh, but before we do that, I'm just going to leave the TV topic on. If I could dream up a show about food or the, or within the arena of food, correct me if you've seen one like this, I would love to follow a chef opening a restaurant. I think that would be such a fascinating programme and it would be highly stressful, but I'd love to watch the the early stages of the kind of inspiration and the concept and opening a restaurant.
0: I think it's a, I think it's a really good idea because I don't think anybody has really any idea of how hard it is, how, what yeah. goes into setting up a restaurant, uh, you know, finding the staff, doing the design, getting the lighting right, you know, and how much money is involved. I mean, it's an expensive it's, yeah. business. It is. And I think we don't, and I, I feel, you know, we don't really appreciate, um, we don't give enough appreciation to, you know, to the, the skills and the range of, of skills that actually mm. any successful chef has to have.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's my TV wish list. There we go.
0: There we go. Well, I think, well, I think, well, let's hope someone listens into this and gives you your wish. Presented by me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, presented by you, Dad. Actually, you'd be a really good presenter. You'd do it really well.
1: Oh, thanks. No, Dad. I think Real that's your thing. line of work. Okay. Um, what have you cooked or what are you going to cook?
0: Well, I tell you what, I've got, um, uh, when I've finished chatting to you, I'm going to go back into the kitchen and I'm going to make. I'm going to do something with the leftover pork that I had from uh, from the day before yesterday, uh, mm. and I'm going to make little por- pork balls, which I'm going oh. to fry and serve them with a little bit of harissa, which I think is a bit of a Lois Fort touch.
1: Mm, that sounds really good, actually. And and, and any vegetables before? I've, I've, I've
0: minced them. i minced them up with some with some ginger and some breadcrumbs. Oh. Breadcrumbs very good to bind them. And uh, gingerbread crumbs, garlic, onion, uh, salt, pepper, and um, uh, and an egg to bind them. Then I'm going to mold them into little balls, fry them, fry them off, as we now say, fry them. Fry off, them off. I'm saying. Fry them off. Fry them. I'm just going to fry them actually, and <laughs> just I'm fry them. A, and splash them with a little bit of hot harissa, and I think it's going to be quite yummy. And I just oh, love really using very up yummy. leftovers. What about yeah, you? Yeah, me
1: too. It's very it's very satisfying. It's good for the environment and things always taste better after the mm. first day. Um, <laughs> what about me? Um, I, recently, I've cooked, uh, from Tom Kerridge's website, a beef stroganoff um, okay. that was seriously good. I'm, I haven't made beef stroganoff before and I love it. I often eat it if it's a, on a restaurant menu. Um, t- what I found really interesting, I made it twice in the last week or so, is that um, that initial step, you know, when you fry you know, your onions or your starting point and you put some, you know, your paprika in, et cetera, et cetera. All of the recipes, because I looked after I'd done it the first time and all of the recipes say, put a stock cube in as it is, undiluted. And then later you add liquid beef, beef consomme or more beef stock. Yeah. And I found it so salty, which is unusual for me because I eat a lot. I, I eat probably far too much salt. So the second time I did it, I took out that undiluted stock cube phase and it made such a difference that would have um, made
0: it much lighter refresher I it suspect.
1: was a lot of it was a lot lighter also mm. th- I mean I'll come on to my actual tip but one tip is when it says use uh, smoked paprika and all you've got is hot smoked paprika don't use the same proportions it blows your head off that was a mistake <laughs> That was a start i had that was a start again moment i had to <laughs> rewind to start all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. no okay, but that was really, it? it was really good um, what, and and tip, tip then? would be tip is about salting meat you know the endless question of when do you put salt on a piece of steak which i'm going to use for this example because that's what we had in the stroganoff uh, do you do it just before do you do it a long time before and i think i found the balance is you either do it just before it goes in the pan because then it crisps up and creates that lovely outside for you or at least 45 minutes to an hour before which gives the liquid time to kind of get out of the meat and run off and the salt time to be reabsorbed i know you're going to disagree with me but that's my tip It's either 45 minutes an hour before or just before but not in between otherwise it's watery
0: you're doing, talking about two, two actually separate processes. I, mean, I, I would absolutely agree with you actually on both of them. I would always do it at the last minute because otherwise it's drawing out liquid and therefore flavour from mm. the, the beef that you're trying, the meat you're trying to, you're going to go and cook. So I would probably always sort. But there are, you know, there, <laughs> listen, there are schools of thought there you know, that argue over um, when to sort a piece of meat. Um, <laughs> right. My tip is the cooking mm. of sausages. Oh, I think yeah. you a good sausage is a, is a thing of wonder and needs to be treated with great reverence and cooked very slowly. So what I do of a Sunday is I go and put my sausages on the lowest possible heat I can get my, my cooker on.
1: Are we, uh, in, are we in the oven or are we on the hob?
0: No, no, no. Always on top. Not in the oven because it dries them always out. Always on top. Oh, okay. I would always, in a frying pan, a little bit of oil, put the sausages in, never prick them because there's no need to prick a sausage because the skin is a semi-permeable membrane, which I'm sure you'll remember from your school days, means that it will let the fat out but keep the juices in. There's something about the osmosis <laughs> that allows that to happen. And it it lets a bit of the juices out, which is why you've got that lovely caramel at the bottom of the the frying pan. But very, very gently. And then make yourself a pot of tea, return to bed, drink your (laughs) couple of cups of tea, pop down in the middle time, turn them over, go back to bed again, finish off reading the paper, and then your sausages will be ready. So slow, gentle, for at least 40 minutes, probably an hour, even better.
1: Really? Oh my gosh! Okay, that really maybe is slow. Slow and steady wins the race. Okay.
0: Well, I wait to hear my tip for for making the perfect scrambled egg, but we'll come to that another time.
1: We will indeed. Okay. Well, I'm going to go and find some <laughs> Gino, Gordon, and Fred.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go and find Big Zoos, Big Eats. <laughs>
1: All right. Oh, sounds good.
0: Always a joy to talk to you.
1: And to you, until next time.
0: Until next time.